Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert Law with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, so you're in very good hands. And later in the show, we're going to ask you who the best all-around Astro is. Perhaps he's on the current roster. And by viewer and listener request, no more one-minute drill, at least for now, although we may revise a little bit for the future. Yeah, they, they didn't. A lot of people didn't like it, Sean. So we're gonna we're cutting out the one minute drill for now. They like my long windedness. <laughs> I don't know if it's that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to figure out what's going on. But if if you did like the one minute drill, let us know. But uh, let's lead off with the Texans trade. Casario and the Cardinals hook it up again. Left tackle Josh Jones and a seventh round pick comes to Houston for a fifth round pick. Do you like it, Sean? Yeah, I do. I know a lot of people I already saw on social media are like, man, the Texans gave up a fifth-round pick for this guy? Well, this guy is a starter, starting-level quality you know, guard tackle in this league, and it's a position of need right now for the Texans. I think it says a couple of things. I think it says that the Texans aren't completely comfortable with George Fant. Um, I also think in that regard, it could mean the Texans really need uh, a security blanket for from a depth standpoint. Maybe Fant is playing through a little bit of injury. Maybe they're not satisfied. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the case. They're not satisfied in second-year player Austin Deculus or Tyler Beach. I know Killen Zire, as we all know by now, has been uh, placed on season-ending IR. Charlie Heck hasn't put pads on once this training camp. Looks really good walking around over there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the Texans have been really hurting for quality at the tackle position. And look, we're at the point now where it's so important to – protect your franchise quarterback they haven't outright said cj stroud is the starter but he's the freaking starter and we are not at a point right now to where you can go out there and just say ah laramie tunsil's a shoe in for 17 games he'll be fine you got to be careful you need depth and you need quality depth so i think getting a starting level you know swing guard tackle for a fifth round pick and getting him the heck out of purgatory, you know, with the Cardinals who are going to stink this year on purpose, bringing him over to a team that's building, it's a pretty dang good deal. So if it costs you a fifth-round pick to protect your franchise quarterback, so be it. Yeah, I'm going to get to the fifth-round pick part of that in just a second, Sean. But I haven't heard from you uh, whose house, Coog's house. This is the third guy that they've added this offseason from the Cougars, Case Keenum, Tank Dell. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, this – uh. This thing is chock full of little Big 12 SEC action, right? They got everybody else from Alabama, and uh, they wanted to get some Big 12 blood in there. Of course, I guess he's technically American Conference, but whatever. <laughs> also a Houstonian, went to George yeah. Bush High School here. Yeah. In three years, the third-round pick, he was a third-round pick, was yes. versatile. He played 611 snaps at left tackle, all but one of those last year, 612 snaps at right guard, 234 at right tackle his pro football focus grade 75.8 and 622 and 600 yeah 612 snaps last year he allowed four sacks committed just nine penalties well nine penalties it's a little bit maybe a little bit much but uh still not bad numbers and now that the texans don't have a fifth round pick and and sean you mentioned this it's worth noting casario's fifth round pick history so far thomas booker tegan catoriano 
Garrett Wallow, Brevin Jordan, Henry Toa Toa. We want one of these guys to just come up and shock you. Not exactly a gold mine for Casario. The only two good fifth round picks, though, in Texans history, TJ Yates and then Sean, the goat of Texans fifth rounders, DJ Reader, the goat. Yeah, there's no argument there. DJ Reader, um, he takes the cake by a lot. Yeah. Uh, TJ Yates, right? Uh, the first quarterback for the Texans, the quarterback to win the Texans' first playoff game. That is that, correct. Thank you, J.J. Right? Watt, for that as well. <laughs> yeah, all right, J.J. Watt. You know, maybe recent fifth-round picks, uh, Nick Casario and the Texans trending a little bit better. You know, Tegan Quatoriano is kind of a TBD. He's so often injured. Uh, he needs to be healthy because I think when healthy, he can be a contributor. We're going to do a kind of our mock 53 a little bit later on, and uh, we can talk a little bit more about him in that tight end position. But I think that's TBD in all fairness. And Henry Toa Toa, look, he's a rookie. He's going to be a little raw, but all things considered, he looks he looks pretty good. He might be, at least you feel maybe the best about him since you did a fifth-round pick in DJ Reader, knowing what you know. I don't mind giving up fifth-round picks because – it just seems like Casario is always wheeling and dealing and he's yeah. getting late rounders and he's, you know, he's getting them back and whatever. Typically I might be a little worried that you're giving up a fifth round pick for basically a backup that you assume might be a backup, depending on, you know, Titus's health, which we assume it's, he's going to be back soon. But, you know, I, I, if you're getting a guy that can help you and really help this offensive line and really kind of get everything to the point where you feel safe with with these with this group, you know I think you got to do it. And I mean, Sean, how many years do you do we go that the Texans don't need a backup left tackle or right? And he's played both positions, which is great. Exactly, exactly. I thought about it like this very simplistically when I saw the deal uh, come down this morning. If you're going to compare the two organizations, the Texans and the Cardinals, one is trying to stockpile draft picks very similar to the organization that we're covering now. You know, the Texans, like they were trying to do over the last couple of years. Well, the Cardinals, they're going to stink on purpose. They're trying to do that. They're planning for their future. The Texans, they've got some cornerstone pieces, at least who they think. You know, they've invested in, obviously, quarterback, defensive end, you know, the linebacker position as well. And Christian Harris and Henry Toa Toa, they bring in some veterans. But I, I say all that just to make a quick point in that there's one organization that's really worried about stockpiling draft picks, and there's another organization organization that has kind of turned that page and they're just trying to get good quality players in to protect their investment with whom they used uh you know high value draft picks for namely cj stroud and there's a relationship between those two general managers we talked yeah. about that after the sure. will anderson uh, trade before i ask sean to predict the 53 man uh sean friend of the show john crumpler made a great point that got me excited about the offense he said in saturday's preseason game they used motion offensively 56.3 percent of the time doesn't seem like a lot but last preseason under oh, pep's God. offense they use motion 25 percent of the time and it's only preseason son so you got to assume there's a lot lot more in the bag for real football in two and a half weeks too i feel like that's a lot i yeah, yeah. I, I think if i think if they stayed in the 50 percentile they would be probably tops in the league in, in terms of mo pre-snap motion it's been a long time since I looked at those numbers, but you could guess the teams, you know, Kansas City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, the Rams, Cincinnati, Buffalo, 
those teams, I think maybe even Baltimore, when Lamar Jackson is on the field and healthy, they use it quite a bit as well. Obviously, Mike McDaniel, those are your teams that are going to use it. I don't even think they were in the 40th percentile. I could be wrong on that. I don't think they were in the 40th percentile, 50%, 56%, whatever it was. That's quite a bit. I was actually shocked to see them do that as much in the preseason, you know, because we're all talking about, you know, preseason, Bobby Slowick, new offensive coordinator, new offense. How much do you really want to show, put what you're going to do on tape? Pre-stat motion really isn't that. Ultimately, I kind of convinced myself, all right, I don't think he's really showing too much because mainly, look, you, you haven't had Tank Dell out there. He's going to be an integral part of this offense. So without him, there's only so much you can show. And they use Steven Sims in a similar role. Robert Woods, maybe a little bit. They've moved him inside, outside, like I think they're going to do with Tank, who they put outside a little bit more lately. But uh, I say all that because pre-snap motion is ultimately you're trying to make the offensive line and the quarterback's job a little bit easier to see what coverage, you know, the defense is in. Also, too, you're trying to out-leverage certain opponents at times. So uh, I, I like it. I don't think it's going to be near as much come the regular season, though. D'Amico says he's running the starters for the Saints for at least a couple of series. You good with that? Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's really important. You know, like, we know what we're getting from Tank Dell at this point in time. I think everybody understands that he could be a really special player in this offense for the Texans and C.J. Stroud. I think he's going to be a pretty central figure in it um, with, you know, Nico Collins. And I'm just I'm just guesstimating, but just looking at the way that they've used Nico Collins and moving him around, sometimes he's in the slot, sometimes he's you know spread out wide, sometimes he's coming in motion. We saw it the other night in the Dolphins game where they sent him a little motion and they gave him a little bubble screen around the end. So uh, they're using these guys in multiple different ways, and I think it's important to get your dudes in the huddle and as close, I'll be the preseason game, as close to a situation that you can simulate a regular season game to even if it's for just two series. It could be more, but I think what D'Amico's looking for, what Bobby Slowick would like to see from C.J. Stroud in his first team offense is another sustained drive. Keep C.J. in a really good flow. Still think he probably needs some work getting a play into the huddle. You know, we talked about the miscommunication between C.J. and Dalton Schultz, you know, that play on the first drive down around the end zone. There was clear a, a clear miscommunication there. Uh, maybe CJ gave him the wrong route. Maybe Dalton ran the wrong one. You'll never know. But I think we're all to assume fairly that the rookie probably messed it up. So I think just more reps, the better for CJ in this first team offense. The defense, I'm sure you want to see them giving up four or 500 yards again on the ground. That that would be your goal. Just, uh, uh, sure. Yeah. Are we in tank mode again? Because that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's preseason. It doesn't matter. No, look, I just want to see an improvement. That's number one. That set is, the edge. Set the edge. You gotta you gotta be able to set the edge, but you gotta be able to tackle too, man. Don't excuse the interior either, because I, I get what you did the first play. You know, you had that TFL for a five yard loss. You know, with Anderson and uh, Jacob Martin. Who else was in there? Malik Collins. You know, all three of those guys just exploded through the middle. Well, the very next play. They ran for seven yards right up the gut. Those stubborn Mike McDaniel Dolphins, they put their head down. They went right back at you. So it's about consistency. It's about continuing to sit in those gaps, get off blocks. Look, Roy Lopez, who I think is going to be a big part of what the Texans uh, are doing on the interior line. I think he's, he's stuck out like a sore thumb and in a good way. He's, he's bigger. He's stronger. He's more explosive. He's gotten off of blocks He's, he was in the backfield to flush the pocket a couple of times in the Dolphins game. He didn't practice today. 
Um, he needs to stay healthy. Malik Collins has to be Mr. Consistent. Sheldon Rankins, Hassan Ridgeway, those guys have got to play like the veterans uh, and thrive in this D'Amico Ryan system like they're supposed to. So the interior line's big. You need to see better tackling. Overall, the defense has got to be better, even the secondary, because at times it is going to get leaky. And at times, Jalen Petrie is going to have to freaking put a helmet through somebody's chest, not reaching out for dear life with his arms. He's going to have to wrap somebody up. Yeah, wrap up is the key word for for that. I want your prediction for the final 53, or at least where the competition is in some of these areas. Let's go position group by position group. QB's easy, so we're going to move past it. Stroud, Mills, Keenum, they're a given. Special teams, gimmies, Fairbairn, John Weeks. Cam Johnson, I think. So there's six right there. I'm 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 way ahead of the game. So there, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna mess with me, Debico, on those six. Now, I really want to get your first thoughts on the running back, Sean, because we know Pierce, we know Singletary, we know Beck, the fullback. Who else makes it? There's a real question mark after those three guys. I mean, I don't think so. I, I feel like, you know, and this is not just pointing at like, hey, look look at the contract they signed this guy to and Mike Boone in the offseason. But so far, so good. Um, they gave him one of the more lucrative deals, albeit, again, a short one, you know, just a year like they did pretty much everybody else. I think at the time, maybe they gave a three-year deal to Shaq Mason, <laughs> you know, uh, after he'd been here a month or something like that. You know, they gave him the extension, but that was about it. Boone has looked the part, though. He's come in. He's been a good little change of pace, a low center of gravity, powerful guy, hard to bring down, keeps the legs moving. I think just the kind of complimentary back you would want for that third guy. And you're going to ask him to play, you know, a little bit of special teams, probably. Dario Gumbawale, who's been that guy for the Texans, he's a little bit banged up. I think he's dealing with a soft tissue injury with a hamstring. Don't quote me on that, but I know he's a little banged up. I feel like Boone's just been the better back for that third spot so far in camp. So my three are Pierce, Singletary, and Boone. That's it. They're, you're going with those four guys. Probably Harrison starts it on the injured list. And, and Definitely. maybe if something happens to Beck or something, he's he's around if you need him. Beck, Beck is an interesting one. He's the only fullback that's you know currently on the roster. I know we saw Dalton Keene. He's technically listed as a tight end. Showed that versatility because well they needed him to it's Beck and that's it when yeah. if you want to move to the tight end group a little bit some people might disagree with me on the flexibility versatility aspect of what is going to be expected of Andrew Beck I think the Texans keep three tight ends and Andrew Beck as Schultz, a fourth option Schultz Cotoriano and Eric Tomlinson. I've, I've got Eric Tomlinson making this team over Mason Shrek. Mason Shrek, you know, in in spots, you know, and we obviously know what he did last year when he was healthy. He looked like he could be an immediate contributor. You know, a guy with sure hands, a couple of red zone targets, touchdowns last year. Nice. But I think Eric Tomlinson in a pinch, man, you know, they'd signed him late, came into camp, and he was an immediate target for C.J. Stroud, Bobby Slowick in this offense, and you could just see how he kind of affected the game. You know, solid blocker on the edge. The Texans want to run outside zone. It's going to be a big part of what they do. Obviously, you'd like to show a little inside zone, but you want to get that interior blocking to set up the cutback, which the Texans are going to use quite a bit, hopefully. Tomlinson looks the part. Big, big guy, solid blocker, good hands. I've seen him catch a little bit and control the ball through contact, so... 
I think he's probably the best guy in this competition. So you got Schultz, Quatoriano, and Tomlinson. There's your three tight ends. You're going to keep Beck, but what I mean to say is Beck in a pinch, you know, if one of those guys was to go down or if you want to get a little creative like Sloic tends to do, where we've seen Beck split out wide, we've seen him in two tight end sets, we've seen him in the slot, he's going to be that versatile type yeah, of no, gadget I, player for I, you. Yeah, there's not, I'm not, there was no debate that Beck was going to make the team. Revan Jordan, though is a guy that you haven't mentioned yet. I believe he's been back out there playing uh, this week. So um, I, I, I don't know what happens if, if they find an injury for him after bringing him back or is just he go- is he's gone. I mean, I don't see him making this team. Uh, it's just he's been too inconsistent. When he was healthy, I think he's a different kind of end than the Texans are looking for. When you play tight end for this in this offense, you've got to do everything really well. You got to block, you got to be able to catch, catch the contact, run good routes. And I think you've got three more complete players at that position ahead of Brevin Jordan. And look, D'Amico Ryan's even said it the other day when he's asked about, hey, you know, there's 30 some odd guys you're going to have to have a tough conversation with. He didn't pull any punches, said, hey, man, I, I don't blow smoke. I'm going to tell it like it is. That's that former player, you know, talking right there. I, I just... All I thought about was Brevin Jordan, because that's probably going to be a tough conversation for him, who, you know, any other Texans team over the course of the last couple of three years, yeah, you slide in, it's your spot, big cat. But this team's turning the page, and I just think there's better players on this roster right now. Yeah, I just have this feeling they're going to find an injury for him or something like that. I just I just don't think it would be right if they just decided to move on, if they could find an injury. And, it, you know, he's been out a lot. So Maybe you find it, you know, what do you mean you find an injury? Like they're going to keep four tight ends? Well, you know, just never know when somebody's going to go down, like some guy named Tegan Quateriano, who we talk about, goes down all the time. So that's just, fair. But then just, that's why that's why I'm talking about Andrew Beck so much is that he is that versatile guy, you know, that could slide in there and fill that role for what the Texans yeah. have been doing to this point in camp with, uh, you know, multiple tight end sets. Yeah, you got to bank on Harrison coming back because you still want him to play some fullback for you, too. Um, automatics at wide receiver. Robert Woods, Nico Collins. Tank Dell, Noah Brown, John Mechie, I guess, and who else? Forgot to mention Xavier Hutchinson. He's an automatic. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, absolutely. The one guy that you did mention I don't think is, and that's John Mechie. Look, early on in camp, he flashed. We knew he was there. All eyes were on him anyway. And kind of like Robert Woods did to start camp, he's kind of disappeared. Mechie was not visible in the open portion of practice on Thursday. Okay, I don't know if he's really hurt. I don't know what the deal is, but I do have a theory. Mechie hadn't really been getting targets. I haven't heard any poor reports. I just know this from watching practice every single day. And granted, I'd missed this week, but I've been to every single practice before then. Just doesn't stand out a lot. Tank stands out. Robert Woods stands out. Do you give up on do you give up on a guy though that it's not giving up on him? It's not giving up on him. I think he I think the Texans find a way to get creative and he starts the year on the pup or IR. Yeah. You pull those guys off after four to six weeks. Uh, I think you can do it multiple times now this season with different players. I, I think that's probably where we're trending. It's just a theory right now, but I wouldn't necessarily think that if it wasn't for the emergence of Steven Sims the last two and a half weeks in training camp. The guy couldn't catch a cold. It didn't appear the first week and a half of camp. 
He was working with the punt return and the kick return, showed sure hands and quick twitch, a good decision-making ability to make something happen in special teams. If he was going to make this squad, he had to start catching balls. He had to be a factor in this offense. In those joint practices, and even the week prior to that, the guy just flashed. He stood out. In the slot, he looked like, he, at times, with his sure route running ability, he was a good little check down option, good guy to kind of flash open, kind of like Tank's been. You get the ball to him quickly if you're Stroud. He's just been there. I think that's why he makes this team. Good little option, somebody that's comparable to what Tank can bring, fast, quick, good hands, can make a guy miss, get you some yak. The hands, though. You said a week and a half he looked bad, and then we saw him drop a pass in the second preseason game. So I don't know about the hands. Yeah, I mean, it's a pass. There was a lot of drops in that preseason game. I'm just yeah. telling you, know, what, what, I've, what I've watched, witnessed in camp every single day, you notice him out there. I'm constantly looking for John Mechie. I'm saying it's not a I – don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, uh, we commend John Mechie for doing everything that he has, you know, to come back and what he's battled through over the last year. It's not a bad thing, and I don't think it's that crazy to think, okay, yeah, second-round pick, but the dude just beat cancer. You start off the year, you make sure you're as healthy as possible, you're totally comfortable with this offense, and your sure. body and your route running are where they need to be along with your hands – and we'll see if he can bring something later on this season. Just because you start somewhere doesn't mean you're going to finish there. The offensive line, you got the five starters, Josh Jones, that, Josh Jones, that six guys. Who else besides those six guys makes the roster? Michael Dieter, you know, center guard, swing guy. I think he's uh, been invaluable for the Texans there. He's a must-have. Jarrett Patterson, you know, another center guard, swing guy. So there's your seven. You've got Josh Jones. There's your eight. Um, George Fant. Yeah, that that's nine guys. And Titus Howard may or may not be ready for week one or week two. You know, let's see. Right now it's been Fant. I just mentioned I don't think they're maybe completely comfortable with him. It could be, well, hey, we had the opportunity to get, you know, Josh Jones, play both right and left tackle, little guard as well in a pinch. It would be nice to have a safety blanket if, in fact, Laramie went down ever. We've already got Titus down, got Fant there. Maybe we need somebody else. I always thought if they were going to keep nine offensive linemen, they have so many guys that can go both ways in the interior. If you needed depth, you had to go tackle. And I think we saw we saw it today. They're along the same lines of thinking. You go out and you get Jones, it's totally worth it for a guy that's going to be protecting potentially your franchise quarterback. Okay, let's go to the other side of the line. These are the defensive linemen that I've got. The starters, mm -hmm. Willie Anderson. John Grenard, Blake Collins, Sheldon Rankins. I'm going to throw in the veteran Hassan Ridgeway. You said Roy Lopez, you love him. That's six right there. There's six defensive linemen. Who else makes the roster on the line? Okay, well, you got four defensive tackles. You just mentioned Rankins, Collins, Ridgeway, and Lopez. I've got Heinish making the team. Uh, he's had a really good camp. Miko loves the fire, the passion uh, that he's played with. I'd like to see more playmaking ability from him, um, but I think he makes this team. Defensive end, you mentioned Anderson and Grenard. Jerry Hughes ain't going anywhere. Jacob Martins had a fantastic camp. I think um, D'Amico loves that veteran presence, loves how vocal he's been. He gets the guys fired up. Uh, he's made plays. You just mentioned one. You know, He was in the backfield on the first defensive play of the game against the Dolphins the other night. And obviously Dylan Horton. 
You know, so there's five defensive ends. You've got 10 guys right there. There is no bubble. Uh, there's no Thomas Booker, maybe. There's no Cowart, maybe. There's no Winovich. There's no Rivers. I, I don't think those guys are even close. Winovich has been banged up. Booker can't make the club from the tub. Cowart hadn't shown me enough. And Rivers, I'm kind of like doing the same thing with him. If he hadn't been hurt, banged up, and on the side, I've been looking for him to make a play, and I ain't seen it. Linebackers, man, <laughs> I've got Christian Harris, Denzel Perryman. I, I assume our boy Blake Cashman's – in, the, in, in there, that's three. Toa Toa, you would think, sure. has made the roster. Oh, yeah. So that's four. After that, like, I'm going to let you go. Who else is on the, on this uh, linebacker four? You know, I don't remember the contract that they gave him. But, you know, Corey Littleton, you know, was one of those veterans that at the time he felt pretty good about when they brought him in this offseason. But maybe Denzel Perryman light. I just haven't seen it, but I went ahead and gave him the benefit of the doubt. I have him making this roster. So for guys, you just mentioned Harris Perryman Cashman's been banged up. He's got a hamstring issue. And we know that's kind of, unfortunately, the story of his career started ever since he's with the jets came up with them. And he's been relegated to a special teams guy since, and a very valuable one when healthy, he's actually shown a propensity to make some plays in this defense at the linebacker position, Littleton and Toa Toa. So there's your five linebackers. Now, Kirksey, I don't have him making this team because the Texans can save $6 million if they cut him. Wallow? Uh, Garrett Wallow? I haven't seen him. I mean, he he made a pass deflection. That's like the one time that I remember him making a play, any play in camp, and that was the week before the joint practices. That's it. Jake Hansen looked completely lost in that Dolphins game the other night in coverage you know we talked about him a little bit he's the one uh, that was on Barrios who got loose for the touchdown I gave him a little bit of benefit of the doubt but I think you know in an extended play like that you got to be able to make a play he just looked too lost for me has had a solid camp I just think otherwise now Hewitt from a special team standpoint they love him I know that Wallow though is a special teams guy they love so they know. do, but Hewitt's a freaking dog, man. Um, if you had to pick between one or the other, I, I'd personally go Hewitt. I just don't know where you'd stash him on the active. Those guys feel like practice squad guys to me at this point in time. Uh, what's Wallow? You said a fifth-round pick you know, once upon a time ago. Look, he had problems staying healthy last year, and when he was healthy, granted, don't judge – hardly anything by that crap coaching staff and a horrible defense last year, but he just never looked like he fit in and really belonged on a football field as a defensive player. So he just hasn't popped for me. The other guys have Corey Littleton is kind of a benefit of the doubt guy. I don't think he's really going to go anywhere. If he's cut, that would be a really shocker. That'd be a big shocker to me actually, but I feel like they're going to find a spot for and or Hewitt and Wallow. Probably not on this active roster though, on the practice squad. Yeah, we were just talking fifth rounders and you just cut three of them so far. So that's that's Casario's record. And this has only been his third year, third draft. So that's not good. The secondary should be one of the easier positions, I assume, Sean. Stingley, Petrie, Ward, Steven Nelson, the starters, Des King, Tavier Thomas, a couple of really strong backups. Who else do you like among the secondary guys? That's six guys right there. Shaq Griffin. Uh, really, really like him. I think he's had a much better camp as they've gone along. Holman, 
seems to make a play almost every day. He's he's in the mix. He's around the ball. I think they really like him. Griffin's on the same contract that Steven Nelson started the season with. And, you know, he got a new deal work, but it's three and a half million. And I think uh, with incentives, it can go up a little bit if he meets them. Uh, playing requirements, performance bonuses, stuff like that. But I, I think Griffin's, you know, a lock. At, behind Stingley and Nelson, Griffin's your third corner. And then Holman's a fourth. I don't know how many teams typically keep. He feels like a guy that wouldn't be active on game days. And maybe if you do keep him, you think you could stash him on the practice squad and maybe give you some depth at another position. Maybe linebacker if you feel like you need it. Maybe that saves Christian Kirksey's job. It just depends. But Eric Murray, if you didn't mention him, and MJ Stewart, I think those you know are your two other safeties. Greg, uh, special teams block. guy, MJ Stewart, too. So I think that's going to matter for him. Yes. Yes. And, and hey, look, MJ's had a really good camp. And when he's running with the twos, he's out there making plays. Dude's a dog as well. He's going to lower his shoulder and knock some people over. He's been one of the more sure tacklers in camp in that secondary uh, so far. And that's that's necessary for this squad. But you know this, Petrie's got to get better. Ward, uh, he'd like to have some of those plays back, you know, over the course of the, what was it, uh, the Dolphins game. <laughs> so funny. You know, as as effective as some of those guys were, Petrie still has some, some of the similar issues. And Ward... I was a little disappointed to see him, you know, whiff a few times, just reaching and arm tackling. So you need the physicality and a lot of it in that secondary. And I think MJ Stewart uh, definitely gives you that. So you have added this up. This adds up to 50. Have you, I haven't been doing the math. I haven't got my calculator in the I've app. Got, uh, 25 players on defense, 25 on offense, and then your three specialists in Johnston, Fairbairn, and Weeks, who you mentioned earlier. That's 53. Players active on game day, you can have 48 this year. Those five, I was racking my brain in terms of like who's not going to dress. That was a difficult one for me, but I think you have some flexibility there with Holman as that fourth corner. Maybe he's a practice squad guy. Maybe that enables, you know, Christian Kirksey to make this squad or, you know, maybe a Garrett Wallow or a Neville Hewitt. The Texans are at the point right now where you're not doing, you don't have to do guys favors. You've got veterans in that linebacker room. One of them you're really happy with, and he's a thumper in Denzel Perryman. Why do you need Christian Kirksey? You know, we questioned his play and sure tackling ability and sideline to sideline ability last year. And we all know the Texans were asked to do a lot of that at the linebacker core. I don't think anybody was impressed. Denzel Perryman looks the part, acts the part, sounds the part. He's that leader in that room, along with Corey Littleton. Neville Hewitt's a freaking dog. Maybe he finds his way on. I just don't see any way Christian Kirksey makes this roster with the amount of money the Texans can save. It just gives them that much more flexibility because, hey, going into the next season, you're going to have quite a bit more money to spend in free agency. And then it's really game on for Nick Casario, D'Amico Ryan's and the Texans. Yeah, we're going to find out here pretty soon. Uh, this cut day is coming down probably in about a week or so, so. It should be interesting. It's, it might, we, there might be other guys. We haven't talked about this, but there might be guys that are out there for the Texans to pick up. So there's a lot of, I mean, that, that, the linebacking core specifically, mm -hmm. I just, that's why I mentioned two, two or three or four guys. And I'm like, man, they could find somebody out there. Well, you know, two guys, you're, you should be confident in two guys right now. Christian oh, Harris and Denzel yeah. Perryman. Yeah. You know, Henry Toa Toa. Nice. Let's give him a little look-see. Looks the part, sounds the part. 
had some good plays, it flashes, has the propensity to be a playmaker. And I love his background, Alabama, team captain, called the defense, Mike Linebacker, love it. Hey, this what? The NFL is a college all-star game. Can he thrive at this level? That's TBD. The other thing is, you know, I'm, I just question Casario at this point and his staff at scouting linebackers. And D'Amico is a linebacker, was a really good one. So maybe he can identify some of these guys that are out there and available. Hopefully they can improve a little bit because that's the one area. I mean, there's a lot of areas, obviously, but that's the one area that I think they're just like super weekend. But we'll see what happens in the next uh, week or so. Let's move to the Astros. No starting pitching talk without refills on my antidepressants. I just can't. I can't do it now, Sean. It's it's a bad situation. Mm. But I brought up something on social media this week, and I want your take on it. Yeah, it's to the point with Kyle King Tuck Tucker, where there's nothing about his game that isn't very good or elite. It is just so fun to watch him because he is great at everything. Speed, base running, defense, arm, batting average, power, pitch selection, clutch factor. I mean, there's probably more stuff that I haven't even mentioned, but you name everything that you want from a baseball player, and he's really, really, really good at it. So the question that I'm posing to you is, is Kyle Tucker the Astros' best all-around player in the franchise's history. And again, I'm emphasizing this on all-around because you get on Twitter and everybody can't read. And I say all-around, and I should have, I should have put it in big, it huge font because it wouldn't have you know they would have, you know, it's like, well, what about you know Biggio and 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 Jose Altuve and, and I'm like all-around. Well, do you, do, what do you think, Sean? I think you need to qualify it even further, to be honest with you, because, look, uh, I'm assuming Tucker, hopefully he stays healthy, is going to finish this season as another 30 and 100 guy. That's going to be about three straight seasons, right, of him being a 3,100 guy. Uh, and the batting average is up, on base percentage is up, OPS is up. Uh, the guy's an ascending player, it appears. The problem with your question is um, it's a little – fantasy right it's to me it's such a short sample size in relation to when you when you think about best all-around players in Astros history I've got two guys that immediately come to mind and it's of my generation and I think they're probably one two right now and that's Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell Jeff Bagwell being number one you look at the war numbers you look at what they meant um, as an offensive and defensive player Bagwell, you know, with one gold glove, I don't know how many silver sluggers he won. Biggio has a handful of silver sluggers, almost a handful of gold gloves, was a terrific base runner. Uh, yeah, but let me just stop you time. because that's the immediate argument everybody mm -hmm. has. And let me just say, first of all, on Craig Biggio, when I'm saying elite at everything, I'm saying mm -hmm. all around. Craig Biggio didn't have a good arm. There was a reason why they moved him from catcher to second base. There was a reason they moved him to second base. We saw it in the outfield, but at that point, it's, you know, towards the end of his career, he wasn't good. His arm was not a good arm. Defensively, he had the one good year at second base where he won the gold glove, just like he has one gold glove. He has four gold gloves. Biggio had four? Biggio has four gold gloves. Okay, my, my bad then. But his arm was not good. Do we agree on that? 
I mean, he didn't have an elite arm. I mean, I'm not going to argue that, but I, he was one of the premier second basemen. You know, it was him and Ryan Sandberg. Yeah, just uh, because you were a premier second baseman doesn't – when I'm I'm I, quite a – you know, when I went through the Kyle Tucker list, that's I want to be clear on this. When I'm going through the Kyle Tucker list, I'm going point by point of he's good at this. He's good at that. He's good right. at the next thing. And, like, like he's not – like, Craig Vigio – was not, you know, you would never have called him one of the better arms. In, I, I know, no, but it here's the it. problem with your argument. <laughs> and, and anytime you're going to elicit a response from somebody, that is the argument you're going to get because that's the only comp. Those are the two greatest players in Houston Astro history. So you have no other choice but to talk about them. The problem is sample size. Kyle Tucker, if he does this at an elite level with, all of these things arm. Well, we're, we're only getting two power. more years. We're getting two more years of the guy, and that's it. So he's okay. not going to well, be the best. Don't ask the question. He's not, you no, 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 more years no, of no, it, no, 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 no. It doesn't mean you're a worse all-around player because you signed with another team after being with the Astros for seven or eight years. Like in the history of baseball, there's not a lot of these Hall of Famers that is just he, stay with their team. Is he going to be the team. best in a five-year stretch? Sure, um, but. You know, ultimately, when you look at total the totality of defensive runs saved, um, you know, uh, war, all of this stuff, like, I don't know, it actually might be pretty comparable since the Astros are, have been routinely the best or one of the best teams and winning 100 plus games every year for the better part of the last six years. And he's been a part of it for the most part. Um, those real- numbers are probably going to be exacerbated and up there in comparison with those guys. But the real the, hold on the real argument is not Biggio, okay? You mentioned the guy earlier. You haven't gone back to him. The real argument's Jeff Bagwell, because Jeff Bagwell was a great base runner. My my only very two, good base runner, very good defender. My very... only two things with Jeff Bagwell, and this is goes and one of these things goes with Biggio too. Mm-hmm. I said clutch. Uh, Bagwell and Biggio were not clutch in the playoffs, and I'm talking. We're talking about every single phase, right? And those two guys did not show up in the playoffs. Not saying that Kyle Tucker's postseason numbers are fantastic, but he's like 70 points OPS better, I know, than Bagwell, who's got the real argument, I think, of those two guys. Because Jeff Bagwell, look, Biggio, he was a a great base runner as far as steals, but Jeff Bagwell was, you know, just the smartest, one of the smartest base runners ever. And I think Kyle Tucker is Jeff Bagwell smart as far as that's, like that's one of the things where I really think of Jeff when I watch Kyle Tucker, the yeah. power numbers. That's interesting. Bagwell is right there with with Kyle Tucker. Bagwell, considering he was in the dome and considering his overall numbers, uh, he was probably be- yeah he's a better power hitter, uh, better average hitter. But both were great power, great both guys, great power, great average, no question about it. You know, you'd give Bagwell the edge as far as how good he was, but they're both two of the better at that in the game. Yeah. Jeff Bagwell's arm, everybody remembers the arm where it almost falls off. Um, I had to really think back about this because Jeff Bagwell had a pretty good arm early in his career. I don't know if it was elite arm. It's a first baseman, so it's really hard to compare first base and right field. Jeff Bagwell was brought up as a third baseman, but people forget the reason why he moved to first base was the guy over there had a cannon. His name was Ken Caminetti. Mm-hmm. And then he was also fighting against Wade Boggs in, in Boston, but I don't know if if it had to do with he wasn't as good defensively because you could have always moved 
one of those guys to DH because it is the American League. But Jeff Bagwell is the real argument. And if people want to give me Jeff Bagwell over Kyle Tucker, that's fine. But if you still clutch, if you still want to have the conversation and and go apples to apples, then literally do it from, you know, when Tucker began as a what, 22-year-old, 23-year-old to to now and compare that same stretch to when Bagwell was the same age, to when Biggio was the same age. Go apples to apples that way and look at those numbers. Um, I was thinking about this, and it's just a thought. I don't know the numbers, but I am curious to actually go back and look. I do know Biggio's numbers in the postseason weren't great. They weren't very good. Um, compare those to his counterpart, his succession, the, the one who succeeded him at second base, and Jose Altuve destroys those numbers in the postseason. I'd be curious as to go back and look. Well, when did Biggio actually make the postseason for the first time? How old was he? You know, and how many opportunities did he get? You know, that small sample size compared to like an Altuve stretch of the same amount of games, plate appearances, whatever. What does that look like? You know, if you want to go apples to apples that way, you could do that just for the sake of argument. I just think it's a very difficult question. It's a fun convo. But when you're comparing such a small sample size for Kyle Tucker and you're talking about the greatest in a franchise history, two guys that were lifers 15 and 20 years at their respective positions, multiple of them if you're Biggio, it's difficult because you look at the totality of the numbers, right? And Kyle Tucker is probably not going to obtain those numbers here in the city of Houston wearing an Astros uniform. We hope he does. And if he does, fantastic. Five years down the road, we can start really having that conversation in terms of like from a cumulative standpoint, um, you know, who's the best all around. There's other factors, obviously, longevity and things like that, um, you know, that, that will come to play. I just think it's a difficult one always, um, but it's a yeah. fun. Yeah, the thing is, and here's the thing about the postseason. Craig Vigio was in his absolute prime when the Astros started making postseasons. Was it 97 or 98? 97, 97. 97 was their first postseason. Okay, Biggio was 31 years old. He began in Major League Baseball in 1988. So it was nine years into his career. Kyle Tucker has already played a few years in the postseason, and he's had to play in the postseason when he was a kid, and his OPS numbers in the postseason are in the 750s, where Biggio's OPS in the postseason is 618, mm -hmm. 150 points less. Biggio had nine or 10 years of experience and was in his prime when he started going to the postseason. Now, I get it. Some of those later postseasons were not in his prime, but we know what he did in those early postseasons, and it wasn't good. And that's what I'm saying. Like, all around, that's why I said when I was talking about Kyle Tucker, I was saying clutch. And look, Jeff Bagwell, man, you look at his numbers in the regular season, that dude was clutch. Go look at him again. Yeah. But in the postseason, it wasn't. But Bagwell in the regular season, he makes Kyle Tucker's clutch numbers not look all that great. It, he's got its upper 900s OPS for Jeff Bagwell in, the po in, in clutch situations in the regular season. Over 300 batting average, which is pretty close to what I think Kyle Tucker is. Um, mm -hmm. I know this year, I'm, I haven't, I'm trying to remember if I looked at, at his overall, but yeah, the, the real argument to me is overall everything put together 
it's between Jeff Bagwell and and Kyle Tucker to me. As you know, and unless somebody out there, Sean, I, let me ask you. I, I'm a, I'm just 25 years old, so Cesar Cedeno. You remember Cesar Cedeno? What what kind of all around player was it? Get out of here. Get out of here. Don't give me your Cesar Cedeno's, your Jose Cruz's. Don't give me any of those guys. And uh, Jimmy Wynn, for that matter, right? But Cedeno could do everything on the – I mean, he had speed. He had the arm. He had power. You know, he could hit for average. I mean, you look at his numbers, especially when he's in the dome. Oh, sure. You know, you you have to almost factor that in. But, you know, his numbers aren't going to look as good as these other guys because he was in the dome the whole time. Yeah, I mean, but the numbers are still the numbers. I mean, you know, he was another guy, you know, who had multiple, you know, gold gloves. Um, you know, is he still the franchise leader in stolen bases? Um, if he's not, I know he's, if he's not, I know he's still up there. Um, but, and he got to start really, really young. Wasn't he like 18, 19 years old um, when he made his debut? Yeah, that, that, that's the longevity. That, the longevity, though, you know, like, and I get what he was during his peak, but, you know, the totality of the numbers, it he started when he was 19. You know, how many years did that guy play? <laughs> you know, it's the same argument that I tried to make, you know, with, with Biggio and Bagel. You're talking about, like, you know, greatest all around. He was not only really great at his peak, but he did it for a long time. Um, yeah, Sedanio, if you look at his numbers – he he had these really great years where he had a over 900 OPS in the dome, like 72 and 73 when he was 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of falls off a little bit. Um, you know, it's around 800 or a little bit less than that for a while. And then I think he had one more really good year in 1980 when the Astros went to the postseason. But yeah, I've just thrown out Cedeno because I'm like, I know some people are thinking about him because he Always. was, you know, he could do everything out there just like these other guys can. But the the last thing I'll just say about Jeff Bagwell and Kyle Tucker, and this is an argument that I, I think is very fair. Put Jeff Bagwell in Minute Maid for the prime of his career and put Kyle Tucker in the Astrodome for the prime of his career. And then maybe it's case closed. If we put Bagwell in Minute Maid for the prime of his career, we're we're probably talking about you know, him getting in that 600, seven, maybe even 700 home runs in his career. I mean, could he have gotten 700 home runs if he played in, in Minute Maid Park? <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. That, you letting that juice box get to you a little bit, you know, the Crawford boxes. But, uh, yeah, he would have deposited a lot of balls in the Crawford boxes. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, how many – I love. I wish we could go back and, and see, like, stat cast – you know, uh, numbers for the long outs into left center field. Bagwell just blasted out there in the dome, you know, all for not, uh, and see, you know, like how many stadiums would have been, they would have been home runs in, you know, in the uh, 2020s, (laughs) you know, or the 20 teens, those decades. Cause yeah, he missed out. There's no question about that, but guess what? (laughs) That's that generational question, man. You could say the same thing for some of the greatest home run hitters, you know, all throughout the generations. How many dudes, you know, had to play in these gigantic ballparks, you know, with these huge center fields and, you know, like national leaguers, like Wrigley Field. I know it's windy. Okay. 
you know, give me the uh, give me the give me the numbers. It's three fifty three down the line in left field at Wrigley. There were some really great home run hitters that had to play there for the entirety of their career. You know, the power alleys over there are a long ways away. How many how many bombs did they get robbed of because the wind was blowing in those days or you know, they hit the ball off the bat where you could have poked one in the Crawford boxes this day and age, but out in Wrigley, it was a lazy fly ball on a windy day. So get in the comments. Let us know what you think. Is it Jeff Bagwell, the best all-around Astro? Who's the best all-around Astro? Kyle Tucker, where, does, where do you put him in this group? And we want to hear from you that there. We also want to hear, you know, what you thought about the uh, one-minute drill. Maybe we'll do a, a 90-second drill. Is that all right? Like, what, what do you like and don't like about it? Definitely want to hear everybody's thoughts on that. Get in the comments on YouTube for I sure. I feel like I gave people the best uh, alternative today. Like, I, I was a little bit shorter, more succinct without the uh, timer, the buzzer thing. We'll find out. We'll find out what everybody <laughs> thinks out there for sure. Uh, we'll talk to you guys with the, the live Texans post game on Sunday. Looking forward to that. Some more football can't wait we're just a couple and a half weeks away so uh little texans football and hopefully the astros can uh find some magic in those arms again that would be fantastic but we'll talk to you later you're listening to houston sports talk hey don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on youtube you can always listen to us on spotify apple or your favorite podcast app tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.